on today's show. So we should be glad that there's a doubting Thomas included in scripture because we learn from him and we learn that God is compassionate and he holds out his hand to us and says, put your finger in. Here I am. I'm here. Don't doubt. Leave. Stay tuned. Hey, listeners, before we start today's episode, we're doing a special giveaway that we want to invite you to be a part of. We want to flood your life with encouraging resources. Now, we have several copies of The Science of Missions by Herman Bovink, that great theologian. This is an oldie but a goodie, and it was recently put on our radar through the recommendation of a friend. If you don't have your hands on this title yet, go ahead and head on over to missionspodcast.com slash book missionspodcast.com slash book and here's all you got to do give us your name and your email and you will be one of those who can potentially win one of three copies of this important title and add it to your missions collection again go to missionspodcast.com slash book to enter the giveaway it's open until february 29th and so you have until that date to get your name and email in there until then good luck and now Onto the show. Greetings and welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Kochman, Director of Communications and Engagement with ABWE, joined by Scott Dunford, pastor of Western Hills Church in San Mateo, California. Scott, I'm just having a day, you know? It's a Tuesday at the time of this recording. I'm having kind of a Monday, uh, and that's okay because Jesus still loves me. How are you today? Those brutal Tuesdays, they'll just get you, man. You, know, you, you expect it on Monday, but then Tuesday, <laughs> you know. It just sneaks just, up on you. It sneaks up on you. It, it, surely, <laughs> it surely does. You know, it's, it's a good reminder that we all have limitations, that we are all just one small part of God's great tapestry of his people and God's plan for the world doesn't hinge on any single one of us, not even you, Scott. And aren't you glad? (laughs) I'm very glad for that. I'm excited to have a a special guest, someone who I've heard of for a long time. I don't know that I've ever met him before, even though I've been very familiar with his work, but a long time ABWE missionary in a very difficult place, a place that people probably don't realize just how lost it is because of how many really uh, centuries we've had a Christian witness in the country of Japan, but we're excited to welcome with us, I, I think soon to be minted, Doctor uh, Chris Sadowitz. So, Chris, welcome. We have a you have a new book uh, that has just come out. Uh, he's also uh, a professor, uh, an adjunct professor at Asia Biblical Theological Seminary in Chiang Mai, Thailand, um, and an, an author of a new book called "Paul Planted, Apollos Watered, But God." Vulnerable Weakness in Ministry and Mission, which he's the the editor and contributor. So Chris, welcome to our show. We're glad to have you here. Thank you. Glad to be here. You know, speaking of ABWE connections going back, uh, Chris, I don't know that I've had the privilege of connecting with you too many times directly in the past. I did, fun fact, do the doctrinal interview for Daniel when uh, he was in the process of enlisting as a missionary with ABWE himself. Uh, your son. And so uh, there's uh, there's some connections and affinity with the Sedowitz family. So grateful for your ministry. And in in truth, sharing the, you know, the anecdote and Tuesdays and everything at the beginning of the episode, we, we really do need those humbling reminders from time to time that it doesn't all depend on us, which is why I'm so struck by the subject of this book, which is simply just that great reminder that we have from Paul and Philippians that 
God's work, evangelistically speaking, takes a variety of different players and no one single person is responsible for the the whole of it, except for the Lord. Such comfort from that. But Chris, what drove you to get involved in the project of this particular book? What burdened you for this idea of showing people God's role through all of those players that are a part of that missional process? Uh, Alex, I think it was basically the question that's kind of haunted me all 30 years uh, in Japan. We went 10 years before we saw our first uh, convert. And uh, just this idea of, you know, why so long? Why is it uh, Mm. so difficult? Sitting in class uh, at Biola, uh, I heard the name Jim Harris uh, mentioned, uh, the co-editor of this book. And uh, uh, he had this uh, group called the Alliance for Vulnerable Mission. And that just struck me. So I I wrote it down on the margins Mm. uh, Mm. of my uh, notebook and uh, later on uh, through an email. That was kind of the you know, the beginning stages. But this idea of why so long, I talked with my friends, I went to Bible college and seminary with, and I hear what they're doing in America or somewhere else. And I try that here and it doesn't work. And and then the, you know, teaching with uh, uh, Asia Baptist Theological Seminary in Chiang Mai is, is like you want to be abreast uh, of your students and you want to finish well. So I think there was a combination of uh, going back to school and then then meeting uh, various people who are thinking uh, and serving in difficult places. So explain to me, what do, you, what do you mean by vulnerability here? I mean, when I would hear the title, you know, Paul planted, Apollos watered, why, why vulnerability? No, we struggled with the term uh, weakness and vulnerability, which is why we included both, because both are used in a lot of different ways. Uh, you know, we're weak because of sin, but of course, that's not what the book is about. Uh, well, in a sense, it's interesting that God's who is holy, chooses to use us knowing that we were prone to sin. Mm-hmm. Vulnerability, we try to define it early in the book as vulnerability not from the from the fall, but vulnerability in terms of the created order. Uh, we're made dependent uh, upon God, not independent from Him. And so we have needs and we have things that uh, can potentially uh, make us vulnerable. Uh, we get hungry, we mm. get tired those kinds of things. So for us, vulnerability uh, is not uh, something to be shunned, but something to be embraced. Uh, And we transfer that kind of idea over to ministry. You find a lack of that kind of posture uh, when going into ministry. We like to have our, our finances lined up. We like to have our abilities lined up. We'd like to have our everything that is going to make us succeed lined up uh, ducks in a row kind of a thing. And uh, mm-hmm. we don't move from a posture of vulnerability. We move from a posture of uh, we got it all set, ready to go. Um, mm-hmm. I felt vulnerable coming into this podcast because I can't even figure out how to get hooked up. <laughs> I don't know how to do it either. And and that's why we have a Brian. And we're so thankful for, for Brian mm-hmm. back uh, running the ones and twos uh, behind the camera. But uh, in all seriousness, Chris, let me ask you this question. I, I, I think you you're beginning to, to hint at some of these ideas, but I want to draw this out a little bit more. Maybe there's a generational difference at play here. I think there was probably a certain generation that was raised uh, in terms of in, in ministry, in church settings. Have that stiff upper lip. Uh, don't uh-huh. be presenting yourself as vulnerable. Be strong uh-huh. for the sake of others. I think there's, a, I think there's virtue in that from, from a certain perspective, for sure. Um, my generation, so I'm, I'm here as the token millennial, uh, and I was raised sort of with this drumbeat of, of vulnerability in the Christian community. 
sort of everywhere. My wife uh, pokes fun at me from time to time in small group settings, other church settings. I'm I tend to be, and I've got it under control, but I. I tend to be that guy that overshares like or wherever that line is. She's always yeah. worried that I'm, I'm going to cross that slightest bit over it. Right. Because, well, we want to be transparent. We want to be authentic. Have we gone too far in that direction? Is there merit to that, that idea of maybe I'm not going to be an open book for everyone? Uh, I'm weak. Yes. And I'm dependent. But I also want to be strong in certain ways in the context of certain relationships. How, how do you balance those things in your mind, uh, both in editing and, and helping to write this volume, uh, but also in the conversations that you're having in ministry and dealing with people from sort of both sides of that chasm? That's mm-hmm. interesting. Uh, you describe vulnerability in a personal sense and being open and honest. And uh, certainly that's part of it. But I think the main thrust, uh, uh, what we're thinking of is vulnerable in terms of our ministry, how we carry and do our ministry. So uh, here's an example. Uh, a Korean pastor came by our church uh, a year or two years ago and had these flyers to pass out for uh, a fine uh, outreach that they were doing. In fact, a big church, I can't remember the name of it now in Korea had this 20-year master plan to go through the major cities in Japan and bring uh, these dynamic uh, speakers, actors, uh, musicians, and and do these uh, outreach extravagandas, I would call them. They're really well done. And uh, they were actually videoing them and showing them back in Korea, uh, I found out later. We attended one of them. But when he came to the church and he had the flyer, he had all these uh, the pictures of the people, and he he went through and described who each person was and why they were famous. And I thought to myself, uh, Jesus didn't have one of these, and with the apostles' pictures on them, you know, and he <laughs> what he did set out to do ministry, you know, and why why would these be a draw to Japanese people? They probably don't even know these Korean people, but for the Koreans to do a good job in ministry. That was, you know, the face of the forward. And for me, I guess that would not be vulnerable ministry. That would be, uh, <laughs> I'm going to uh, attract people based on, because I'm a famous you know, musician or, or a famous, you know, movie mm. person. And so I think that the vulnerability in terms of our posturing for how we're going to do ministry is really kind of the, the idea that I held. It's interesting. And certainly... Yeah, we know that the ministry in Japan is is vulnerable. Um, I was, you've probably seen this. You've, I've already talked to you off camera about two, probably too many movies, and uh, you're probably forming an opinion about me and my my habits. But there's a there's a movie I saw a while back uh, by Martin Scorsese uh, called Silence. Have you? I don't know if you've seen that or not. Oh yeah, but really talking about. Uh, the Catholic work of, among the, of the Jesuits in Japan and the, the persecution that was there. And, you know, I see that th- there was elements of that that are just, that were just really beautiful. I mean, just, uh, just flickers of faith and, and yet just how easily it, it could be, it could be snuffed out. And granted, you know, I think what we're talking about in ministry is obviously much different than that, but um, you, you expound upon this in the book and you have many different authors uh, that are, that are, many of them are ABWE missionaries or, or were ABWE missionaries. It's kind of cool to see the list of who's all written on that. But one of the, one of the, ch- the chapter headings kind of struck me talking about the fear of the Lord in vul- and vulnerability. And can you kind of help us understand that? Like how does understanding of God and our fear of the Lord shape our 
uh, our understanding of ministry vulnerability. Uh, that chapter is by Greg Verzink. Uh, that was what's one of my favorite chapters uh, in the fellow ABWE missionary. Yeah, um, she, she just uh, he really hit the nail on the head in terms of uh, the book set up in three sections. Uh, do we have a theological basis for this idea of vulnerable weakness and ministry and mission, and then how culture? Uh, colors that depending on where you're at. And then we had some actual examples from workers in different countries. Craig's section there is, a, is the in the Old Testament. We're looking at some Old Testament uh, aspects of it. And so he took that on the wisdom literature and uh, weakest. And I, it really is one of my favorite because it spoke uh, to me uh, again about the ministry is first and foremost God's ministry. Uh, and so to elevate man in that uh, is not really what ministry is for. And Tim, in the next chapter, Tim Miskaman talks about the glory of God. The way that the, it all lined up was really beautiful. So for Greg's work on the on the fear of the Lord is that as we do ministry, he talks about Proverbs is, you know, living wisdom and living uh, the way uh, by the rules. And then he, talk, he contrasted with Ecclesiastes uh, where we're living. Uh, but the rules don't apply anymore, and we're living in a broken world. And then you have Job, who uh, gets slammed by God, uh, and and he traces the fear of the Lord through those uh, three different books and how it has different nuances. And in the end, you you end up getting a kaleidoscope-like picture of what it is to be vulnerable before God, whose ministry we're involved in, and how he's gaining great glory to himself as we obey depending on the various circumstances that we find ourselves in, whether good or bad. And, and this is, it's important to recognize this is not just a book for missionaries or about missions, but uh, missions is all over this book and obviously written and edited with missionary voices as well. And so I think it's critical for missionaries to understand some of these concepts that you're talking about. Uh, but, but getting back, you know, we, we talked earlier about, okay, are there times that we're too vulnerable? But let's blow that up culturally as well, because you, you do see mm. certain cultures that have an emphasis more on the idea of weakness or vulnerability or being transparent, authentic, whatever keywords you want to insert in there. Some emphasize that more than others, right? There's some cultures that still very much have that stoic, stiff upper lip mentality about them. Our culture is sort of unique in that, you know, on the, on the one hand, we've started to idolize weakness or victimhood in a certain way and anointed uh, victims or perceived victims as sort of a priestly cast, uh, cast in our mm. setup in the West, while at the same time, we still value the sort of the, the magazine, you know, photoshopped beauty and wealth and power and prestige, all the sorts of things that sort of make up celebrity culture as well. We kind of have both of those emphases going on. And I think you see that in different cultures. There's themes of what the culture says it believes in. And then there's undercurrents that sometimes run counter to that. So how have you seen this play out in Japan, for instance, but other settings of ministry as well, where maybe there is that more uh, emphasis on looking really put together on the outside? And how has this message been received maybe in some of those more traditional cultural settings. We have a, a, a young church here in Japan now filled with a lot of Filipinos. Uh, it seems like every four-year term we get a turnaround. Uh, and so we've been privileged to serve alongside young Filipino adults now. And uh, they are 
uh, very gregarious uh, compared to uh, Japanese uh, people. But we, as we talk about the overwhelming Christian populations that we have in the Philippines and in America, you have a lot of people that say they're Christian, but then when you uh, dig deep into their social media and see the things that they're saying, uh, you find out they're, they're theological wackos. You know, they shouldn't be calling themselves Christians. Um, so it's really hard to, people want to be vulnerable and share things, but then there's a lot of untruth out there that's going on. So this whole social media boom along with the push to be uh, authentic and vulnerable really kind of is a muddled mess, or as my brother likes to use the word, a morass. Uh, that uh, it's hard to distinguish truth from error and those kind of things. In terms of uh, ministry, uh, what you said previous about this book being a missions uh, uh, book, the other editor, Jim Harris, and I had this discussion numerous times through the creation of it in that he started his Alliance for Vulnerable Mission in Africa because of uh, colonialism and the effects that it's left on Africa, where Westerners came in uh, with their technology, with their language, and with their finances. And they left a, a, dependent, a, a dependency behind them. And so uh, his group started off by saying, we're only going to do ministry uh, with local resources and local languages. And so as I heard him and others uh, from the uh, AVM group in Africa talk about these things. I said, well, you know, this vulnerableness uh, that you're talking about in ministry needs to be shared by other people in the world because I don't think of other people in the world are trying to do ministry uh, that way uh, either. And our young people, I think, need to hear about it in the West about how do you do ministry vulnerable? How, how do we try to divest, divest ourselves of human glory gaining and uh, trust in human resources as opposed to trusting in God? And I, as we worked on the book, I, I kept thinking of what if I'm an 18-year-old uh, U.S. young person and I grew up in a mega church. So if I asked that kid, what would ministry, what is ministry to you? And they would say, okay, they would look at the, at the stage and they would say, okay, you got to be a great professional singer. Okay, I, I'm not that. You got to be able to speak, you know, and have your face on a big multimedia screen. Well, I can't do that. I'm kind of shy. And, oh, and you see, you know, people spreading wealth around. Well, I got to have some money. Well, I don't have that. You know, how can an 18-year-old do ministry? What is ministry to them? Um, and so we wanted to create something, at least I did, and I kept pushing for this with the, with the others that, you know, keep thinking of this scenario as you write. How, how can we enable the 18-year-old, the 19-year-old to go to their neighbor next door and engage in ministry? So although we ended up with a, a pretty high quality of academic work in the book, I think I was, I'm hoping that the simple message of that anybody can minister mm. with the tools that God has given them. And we can discuss those later yeah. on in the in this show. But yeah. you know, can, how can the average Joe, the average Jane, uh, do what God has equipped them to do? I'm just curious. Uh, why do you call that vulnerability? Because when I think of vulnerability, it's probably not the word I would have chosen to to use. That why 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 that particular word to describe that kind of ministry? I I think because it's not it's not being practiced in the mainstream is is probably why we chose that book. We we tend to default to uh, non-vulnerable postures 
Uh, I don't know of a better word how to say that. Like what? Like what do you mean by that? Well, some of the examples I've given, like the the Korean, you know, Korean pastor showing me that flyer, you know, they were doing an attractional type of ministry. When you get into the chapter by Dale Marshfield, he talk, he he un, un, unpacks this for us a little bit in the Corinthian letters, where Paul sets up the uh, the Greeks and the Jews as foils to what true ministry is. Uh, Greeks valued what? Knowledge, wisdom. Or the Jews valued power. You know, they wanted to see signs. And Paul says, mm-hmm. no, I'm not going to do ministry uh, like that in front of you. I'm going to do ministry only talking about the crucified Christ. So crucified Christ, it was not a picture that was, it was foolish for the Greeks and it was powerless to the Jews. So that would be probably how we would try to define vulnerability in, in that aspect. We're, we're going to use ways that don't seem, or we're going to come with a mindset that doesn't seem like it's going to be effective. Uh, let's pray. Let's just pray mm-hmm. for people. Let's just pray for people. You know, and, and people write us, what can we do for you? What can we send you in Japan? What, can we bring out a trip? Can we send you money? I said, let's pray together. Can you, get a, can you get a prayer team together for Japan that would meet together every week to pray for Japan? Can you do that? Uh, I haven't been able to get anybody to do that in 30 years. Uh, where we're taking a kind of a road less traveled and, and, and going back to really the grassroots of depending on God to do yeah. his ministry through us rather than relying on maybe cultural savvy. Right. It goes back to conversations we've had recently about uh, even some things that we have from church history about what does it mean to have a theology of glory versus a theology of the cross, right? One in which suffering is the exception, the other in which suffering is the rule, that there's a, a crown, yes, but there's also a, a cross that precedes the crown. Uh, but I'm curious, Chris, how does that relate to also the theme which you, you have in the title of the book, which is uh, that that Paul planted, Apollos watered, uh, the, this fact that the gospel task involves multiple players as well. Yeah, players who are willing to be weak, willing to be vulnerable, willing to be dependent upon the ordinary means of grace, things like ordinary gospel preaching, as foolish as it sometimes seems to the world, things like prayer, that that's what we're dependent on in our methodology. Uh, but then you also have this uh, sort of chain reaction type of uh, theology that Paul gives us where one person plants a seed, another comes along and fertilizes the soil or adds water or adds sunlight, and that all of this adds up to God's purposes in drawing people to himself. So it seems like there's a team aspect there. Where does that play into your thinking about the posture that we should approach ministry with? I think, uh, again, what you describe in terms of teamwork and that it takes uh, numerous people behind the scenes, people that we don't even see and acknowledge. And yet uh, the cultural pull in our in our churches and 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 kind of in our culture makes us miss that I think in that we don't uh, we elevate one person you hear people hey did you hear that preacher on YouTube you know if some famous preacher's name comes up and it's like well there's so many people behind that preacher though those that trained him those that uh, those that help support the ministry there the, the church is growing big not because he preaches so well uh, maybe there's a lot of ladies that are hanging out laundry uh, in their backyard talking to their neighbors. You know, their name is never going to make it anywhere. But we always focus in on the on the name and those kinds of things. So 
we we miss the team picture. And I think people in the churches where they see uh, the person up front, they forget that they have a part to play in that teamwork underneath. And and uh, so the book is an attempt to again awaken everybody's responsibility to uh, be part of the team, whatever part that might be. Uh, but I think by cultural default, uh, we all want to be one of the bigger parts, right? Uh, using the body analogy in Corinthians about the toe or the head, I mean, I think, especially in the West, is that we, we all want to be the head. You know, we want to be one of the more visible parts. And I, I see that kind of idea spreading, like even somewhere like the Philippines, where they're copying the exact same things that uh, I saw happening as a kid growing up in the churches here in America. So yeah, culture plays a, a way, I think, in pulling us away from God getting glory, uh, the team uh, working together, uh, small, uh, being small and unnoticed is okay. Do, do you think it's a cultural thing? I, my, my instinct would have been that it's, it's a pretty transcultural thing with just different cultural expressions. Um, what do you mean by by you think that's just you know a Western idea? Because I mean, it seems like when when even when Paul's bringing that out about that con, you know that concept of the head, the foot, you know the whole body, that he's seeming like applying that to pretty much seems like it can be applied pretty much to anybody in any culture. I think you're right, Scott. I think it's a it's a human norm. I think we uh, I think the the Western uh, uh, culture has a strong influence around the world. Uh, I don't think we would argue that. Uh, but we see more and more other cultures, you know, coming this way. But I mean, in America, you don't find a lot of people, they they want to learn Japanese, even though they watch anime and whatnot. But you, you have, you know, 10, 20, 30 times more Japanese that want to learn English. So there's always been that kind of a flow. So I think we exert more force with our culture. So I agree, to, I agree with you in part. And back in 2018, I had done uh, some interviewing with my Biola education in churches. And I interviewed people. I asked them questions about how they read their Bibles. And it's interesting the way that people respond. Like when you ask uh, what place Thomas plays in favorite characters, and he always loses in every church he lost. And I say, why, why does Thomas lose? Well, because he's doubting Thomas. And we sang about him in Sunday school. And, and yet, each of us doubts. That's probably one of the most most done sins in the Christian life. We doubt, <laughs> right? So we should be glad that there's a doubt in mm -hmm. Thomas included in Scripture because we learn from him and we learn that God is compassionate and he 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 holds out his hand to us and says, "Put your finger in, right here, here I am. I'm here, right? Don't doubt, mm -hmm. leave." But we don't see it that way. He's not chosen. You know, he's not chosen as people's favorite character. Why? Well, you know, is that a cultural thing? Is that an American church thing or, or what? Yeah. So yeah, I think that culture does play an impact. And I think that's what's so revolutionary about what the apostle says, especially in first Corinthians, is that this subverts the Jewish logic of seeking signs and wonders. It also subverts the Greek logic of seeking wisdom. This is the foolishness of Christ crucified. I think every culture has its version of signs and wonders or of seeking wisdom. And scripture gives us categories to aspire after, you know, godly ambition, like what uh, the apostle Paul himself espouses in Romans 15, mm -hmm. that, that he has 
an ambition uh, to reach those whom, uh, who don't even know Christ yet at all, haven't even heard his name. Uh, scripture gives us categories to strive for virtue, for, for greatness defined in godly ways. Uh, but it also gives us this. It's sort of the, really the pebble that should be in the shoe of every missionary and every believer. The fact that uh, we serve a crucified Lord, and that's that's going to mean that whatever greatness looks like and pursuing it looks like for us, uh, it's it's going to mean that there's death involved, that there's certainly vulnerability, uh, that there's weakness. It's not going to look quite like the world wants it to look, especially not the way that uh, sort of affluent uh, power celebrity chasing North American culture wants to treat that as well. So I think there's mm. a lot of wisdom and a lot of lessons we could uh, potentially glean from your work mm. on this, Chris, and the work of the other missionaries and authors that have contributed to this. So tell us how we can get our hands on a copy. Uh, Amazon. <laughs> Amazon.com, I guess. Uh, you can go to uh, uh, with this in stock and they will ship it to you as well. I think uh, Barnes and Nobles. All right. So wherever great books are sold, uh, Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God is the name of the book. Vulnerable Weakness in Ministry and Mission, edited in part by Chris Sadowitz, missionary with ABWE, adjunct professor at Asia Biblical Theological Seminary. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate having you on the show. And thank you for watching or for listening. Now, if you are a regular listener, we're so grateful for the way that you're listening, you're sharing the show with friends, writing into us, emailing us. We're so grateful for the ways that you engage. You can go to missionspodcast.com to get more content, but also would you consider hitting that support tab at the top of the website? This is a ministry of ABWE and that allows us to do more for the kingdom to bring you encouraging and insightful content to equip you in your own missional lifestyle. And so if the Lord would put that on your heart, we would encourage you to do so. We're so grateful for all of our partners in this ministry. Uh, as we said, the Missions Podcast is a ministry of ABWE. To learn more about ABWE, head on over to abwe.org. And while you're there, you can take your next steps on reaching the nations. And so until our next conversation that we'll be bringing you, go disciple all nations, Lord bless.